0: I am not the reason Tanner left the podcast. For you folks wondering who I am, I am the legendary Dr. Austin Zwiebelman, ACE, the man who made Tanner Richard Kraft a force of nature. Before me, he was just some college radio host in some farmer's market hippie town. But I came along and I changed that. It was Tanner the host man and Austin the postman. Yet some people like to say that I made him leave. But this is simply not true. Video did not kill the radio star. I made him a fortune. A fortune he was lucky enough to get 2% of, Which is more than most American workers get from the bosses. Every week, come rain or come snow, I made Tanner get on camera and do what he does best. Even if he was sick. Even if he had a family funeral at the same time. I got him to podcast. It was all going so well that I finally got an email from our biggest, most lucrative YouTube sponsor, the mobile game, Diner Dash of Clans. All they said we had to do was make the show more family-friendly, and I had just the angle. But this is where the trouble started. This is the story of how I lost my golden boy. Season's greetings! Today we're here to talk about the best Christmas movie since Die Hard. So deck your bells and jingle your halls. It's the bumps Spot Podcast, episode Lucky 81. I am your host, Dr. Austin Zwiebelman, A.C.E. And with me tonight, I have...
1: Tanner Richard Kraft, And I'm Joseph Varenik.
0: Today, we're covering the newest Baz Luhrmann biopic, Elvis... I know Tanner is the real star of this show and would be more suited to cover such a larger than life movie, but I have a special surprise at the end of the episode. So I'm (laughs) taking the reins on the sleigh so to speak. To start off the show, let's talk about the Memphis Flash, the Hoppin' Hillbilly, the King of Rock and Roll, Elvis Aaron Presley. He has been depicted before by the likes of Kurt Russell and Jack White and so many lounge singers in Vegas.
1: Listen to this right now. There's two things you need to know. I'm the king, and number two is... Look out, man! Look at that! They're coming at you, you see that?
0: What were your personal impressions of Elvis before seeing this movie? We're going to start with our own Missouri Flash, Mr. Tanner Richard Kraft.
2: None of us were alive when Elvis was alive, and I'm pretty sure the majority of us are parents were at best maybe five when he died. Maybe a little older, but most Elvis uh, in our context is a long gone figure who's more myth than he is man at this point. So before this, my general impression was, you know, I've heard a few songs here and there, uh, but the larger cultural context I've ever heard Elvis talked in is um, Elvis sucking. The type of music Elvis made was the exact type of R&B, rhythm and blue music that black people at the time were making, and yet Elvis was making millions of dollars getting sold out shows while black people were reduced to their own black radio stations without a ton of national airplay. And uh, the popular convention saying, so to speak, was that Elvis stole from black culture, made a profit off of it, sort of like the original, one of the biggest cases of that being a thing and black people have been going out shaking their behind for, for, for centuries. What the hell is unusual about that shaking their hips and stuff? And that's all Elvis was doing was copying that. It is the impression I knew Elvis from. I've heard a few of his songs. I was always pretty fond of the song, Hound Dog. I thought he had a really interesting voice. I thought the way that people reacted to him then was fascinating. I I just wasn't super familiar with his music. So everything I know about him is just through that context of he stole from black culture and what little like parodied things. You know, when I thought of Elvis, I thought of end of his life Elvis eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches, barely able to fit into his jumpsuit, basically shitting his life away Both. Metaphorically and literally, I did know that Elvis was a larger than life figure, so when I knew that Boz Lerman was making the Elvis movie, I was pretty excited because who better for a larger than life figure movie? I'm
0: afraid I haven't been a very good host on Sport. You see, I'm Gatsby.
2: Oz makes everything larger than life, just watch the your song scene from Moulin Rouge. So, uh yeah, that's all I got. So uh back to you, Austin.
0: Yes, yes, all this about stealing. I like to think of Elvis as a man who gave. Gave the gift of music like a white Christmas. Joseph, uh what were your impressions of Elvis? before you saw this movie.
1: Let me uh, give you a bit of context when it comes to me and music real quick. Before I embraced being a movie nerd, I was stuck between two worlds, being a movie nerd and being a music nerd. And for a while I leaned towards the latter before movies chose me. However, when I was a music nerd, before R.E.M., before Bjork, and before the Ramones became, like, my all-time favorite artists, I was a ride-or-die defender of classic rock, very specifically the Beatles and Bob Dylan. But not really Elvis, though. I was always very much aware of who Elvis was because he's just this giant figure who's kind of hard to ignore. You should have seen me at dinner tonight, man. I was going... <laughs> in Temple. Yeah. But growing up, I always had it in my head that... I mean, his music is fine, I guess, but he's not the Beatles, who Elvis notoriously hated and been trying to get John Lennon specifically deported. The Beatles just flex so much harder than Elvis. Fuck, I flex harder than Elvis on days when I have to take a massive dump. What a chump! Hit hey, Franklin. Yeah. As I got older, my tastes for music pre-1963 began to take shape. I certainly appreciated his music and influence on music a little bit more, but I never grew to the level of, like, super fandom that I know a ton of people have towards Elvis. Um, If anything, I preferred his film career over his music. Elvis has some, like, really goofy but still really fun movies under his belt. Can you help me, please? Yes, ma'am. Well, then
0: I'd like you to check my motor. It whistles.
1: I don't blame it. So going into this movie, I wasn't too worried about, like, facts being skewed because that's just kind of expected with biopics at this point.
0: I think I'm bisexual. Freddie, okay?
1: My worries kind of laid more with how far Baz Luhrmann was going to take his style. I'm not a fan of Baz Luhrmann, and he's also the director of one of my least favorite movies of all time, Moulin Rouge, and that's where his style goes all fucking in but it's a style that's very appropriate for elvis so i was willing to give him a shot for this but yeah no my thoughts on elvis essentially boiled down to i respect his work and i really like it but i don't obsess over it like a lot of folks seem to which kind of set my expectations to a very reasonable level for this film so back to you doctor you and I have just complete opposite takes on Boz. We have a lot of opposite takes on just things in general. We're, we're very different people. I live for Boz. You don't. I do not.
0: Joseph, I, I liked the part where you said you appreciated Elvis's music much more than I liked the part about the pooping. Before this movie, I personally thought of Elvis as the kind of man whose demons had overshadowed his gifts.
1: I don't know what makes him think that, I, you know, there's a gold
0: belt and the... He was more Nicolas Cage and Michael Jackson to me. Someone who spent his money too quickly. A man who was always at risk of contracting mono on any given evening. Somebody who would try to do a karate demonstration on you if you asked him for an autograph. A man who would just be another novelty of the past Were it not for somebody above him pulling all the strings First of all, I plead innocent of all charges But I truly did not know the extent of help he had Until I saw this film This movie helped shed light On the lifelong friendship Elvis had with Colonel Tom Parker The friendship that made him the international superstar that we all know In a way, this is a Christmas story about a little boy who didn't believe in Santa Claus, even when Santa was his manager. This moves us on to our overall thoughts. We're going to start with Mr. Joseph. How did you like this holiday-themed rock and roll story?
1: Oh, boy, Uh, man, did they really have to make the remake of Lockhart, the Dewey Cox story damn near three hours long? (laughs) Um, Jokes aside, this movie is very a-okay. Positives out of the way first, Austin Butler, that man deserves all the buzz he's been getting. I cannot imagine just how nervous that man was when he had to fill those giant goddamn shoes.
0: It's hard not to feel like a little kid in your dad's suit like you're wearing these really big shoes that you can hardly walk in.
1: And this man's been betrayed by Bruce Campbell, Kurt Russell, Jack White. That's some pretty hard competition. Poor guy was probably shitting his pants greatly, more so than the guy he was cast to play. But Butler is Elvis. That man embodies Elvis from the way he moves and the way that he speaks and his performance is able to distract you from the fact that the makeup kind of fails him in places. Because there, there's moments where the makeup isn't doing him Any justice, and he just looks like Austin Butler in Elvis cosplay. But man, oh man, he killed it. Compared to other folks who have played famous musicians, at least Butler actually has moments in the movie where he actually sings. And it's kind of hard to tell which is which at points. And it makes this even more hilarious when you consider the fact that this is the guy who, uh, in an episode of iCarly, was notorious uh, for not being able to sing. (laughs) You're so beautiful. I can Say whatever I want about Boz Lerman, but Lerman is able to get his set designers to create like these giant, dazzling, lavish sets that always look great on film. Same with like the costume department and just everything on like a technical standpoint. Performances across the board are fairly solid. Like even Tom Hanks doing whatever the fuck he's doing the entire film was pretty solid because, well, Tom Hanks is a very reliable actor.
0: I thought he was good. Now I don't know
2: nothing about music. Music, but I could see that girl's eyes she
1: was having feelings. She wasn't sure she should enjoy. He was my destiny, right under my nose. And I must admit, Lerman was a very solid pick for the director's chair for this. This is probably the best movie he's made since Romeo plus Juliet, aka the movie where Leo DiCaprio is terrible at performing Shakespeare. <laughs> With all that said, my biggest issue with the film is that it's a very, very generic biopic that ticks off a lot of like tropes that you see in biopics, and it doesn't really do anything new or original with it to try and make it unique to the artist that they're covering. I had two movies in my head the entire time as I was watching this. As previously mentioned, Walk Hard, which pokes fun at all of the biopic tropes, that it's not easy to see those tropes in, like, actual biopics and not laugh. Like, I kept saying, you don't want no part of this shit, Elvis, whenever he would pop pills, and was waiting for the one drug for Elvis to reject at the end was a laxative, much like Dewey Cox with Viagra. (laughs) Get out of here, Dewey. You don't want no part of this shit. What y'all doing in here? We doing pills. But the other movie that I had in my head was uh, Man on the Moon, the Jim Carrey biopic about Andy Kaufman. Both of those movies do something that I wish biopics would just stop doing, which is shut up and recreate the hits that everybody has already seen in archive footage or on YouTube already. I wish um, Elvis explored elements we hadn't seen in archival footage prior to the movie being made and was more of a character piece, but I guess that was the route that they needed to take to please him audience which was just make a generic biopic which it worked i guess unfortunately that just made the movie okay for me so back to you
0: doctor thank you very much mr joseph boys i have a joke for you did you know that elvis liked christmas so much that down at the north pole they called him elfish presley (laughs) yes it is a christmas movie Tanner, did this fill you with the spirit of the season? Especially since Mr. Presley was a father. And you know what you say about fathers, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Tanner, what do you say? uh, Dad's rock, baby? (laughs) There we go. Bingo!
2: (laughs) We got one. Sure, yeah. Um, Christmas. Um very loose definition of Christmas, but uh, what the fuck ever, I don't care. So, I was pretty excited going into this movie, obviously. I'm a big fan of Baz Luhrmann's style, and Elvis is a larger-than-life figure. I had high expectations because of that combination alone, but what got me really excited for it was the critic David Eirich's negative review of it. Everything he said was bad about it made me want to see it even more. Ah! It's gaudy. It's over-the-top. It's flashy. It's ridiculous, and I'm just like, yes, give it to me, baby. Yeah. So I came in with some uh, high expectations, and somehow Boz Lerman, Austin Butler, and Tom Hanks blew it out of the water. When the movie starts and Tom Hanks is vaguely wandering through a horrible-looking CGI casino, I knew I was in for a goddamn treat, I tell you what. Over the next two hours and 50 minutes, I laughed a lot, I cried a lot, and I became so fully engrossed in it. Is it a by the numbers, beat by beat biopic? Sure. Is it suspiciously similar to Walk Hard? Yes.
1: Dewey, I'm cutting half pretty bad. In case y'all don't make it, then you have to be double great for the both of us. Jesse, Elvis' twin brother, who died at birth. Tragic. My darling, you'll have the strength of two men
2: but honestly, I think that's what makes it great. Walk Hard just made fun of all those biopic tropes to the point where a lot of movies would feel scared of even walking onto them anymore. What this Elvis movie does is stare straight into the Dewey Cox stories' face and says, yeah, what about it? It embraces itself for what it is and doesn't have any qualms about it. And I think that leads to a lot of quality. Ambaz's style of course is just generally perfect for it. Is the editing excessive? Yeah, but I love it. There are so many great insanely quotable scenes. Like it got big on Twitter the day this movie dropped on VOD, but I can never get enough of Tom Hanks going That's
1: a thing. He's white.
0: white. He's, he's white. What do you think, Jax White. <laughs> <laughs>
2: One of the best scenes ever.
0: This is him talking about the Christmas, yes? The snow on no, Christmas
2: it's... is white. <laughs> uh, sure, but he's talking about Elvis. Elvis is white. Maybe not as white as snow, but still pretty white. Oh,
0: the skin color. Uh. Yeah. What about, um.
1: It has nothing to do with us. It has
0: everything to do with us. That's just a funny meme. It has everything
2: to do with us. That reminds me, there are two things about this movie that is perfect, and I'll roll into the second one of the first one. Austin Butler's performance in this movie is so fucking good. Sure, he's just embodying Elvis, but I feel like he's definitely making a character out of it. He is putting his own spin on what Elvis is. He's playing Elvis less like a real person and more like a mythic legendary figure, which is what he is in our current cultural context. And the movie as a whole treats him that way everything he does is superhero-esque. Colonel Tom Parker in the movie even says as such.
1: In that moment in a flash of lightning, I watched that skinny boy transform into a superhero.
2: The relationship between him and Tom Parker is of course the central conflict of the movie. Tom Parker was a you know, pretty shitty guy, and Elvis was, well, you know, Elvis died shitting, you know, and there are a couple of moments that just really sell it. I remember crying at the scene where he sings If I Can Dream. The entire time, by the way, Tom Hanks is doing the When Will He Play Santa Claws? Which is so
1: fucking funny. I do not know what is going on. Singing hound dog? What does that have to do with, with Christmas?
2: And then when he sings Dream, which was a real song that Elvis performed, and that is the only time he performed it live, and he's so affected by everything that's happening around him. I thought that was really beautiful.
1: It's the best scene of the movie.
2: Oh, yeah. It's by far the best scene in the movie. The shot where it at the end of the song, where it does all those newspapers and magazine covers that show that he's back, baby. That was fucking awesome. I don't know if that's my favorite part or if my favorite part is when he does the uh, Vegas show for the first time. All of the scenes of Elvis performing in general are fantastic. Uh, movie's not perfect. I understand that movies are problematic, and protagonists are allowed to be problematic, and it does. If we, a protagonist is problematic, that doesn't mean the movie's bad. But I did think it was weird how the movie sort of glosses over the whole Priscilla Presley was 14 thing. They kind of mention it offhand where they call her a young beauty. Priscilla, the pretty teenage daughter of a United States Air Force officer. And then they just kind of. Roll right past
0: it. Well, they say she is teenager.
2: And that is a gross thing Elvis did. I also appreciated how this movie gave me context for why Elvis was so much stealing from black culture, so to say. He was stealing it in a literal sense, sure, but he grew up on that music. He grew up in black communities, so that was just the music that he knew. And I, I never really knew that from the way modern people talk about Elvis as that's the type of music he grew up in.
0: Well, I if you do, you'll make a whole lot more money than that kid could ever dream
2: of. Overall, though, it's just a wonderful movie that I think really shows and sells Elvis as a mythic figure. And I think it's Boz Luhrmann's best movie since Moulin Rouge. Granted, it's like his what? Third movie since Moulin Rouge? Uh, damn, it's been nine years since Boz Luhrmann's last movie. That's fucking crazy. All right. Well, back to you, Austin.
0: Yes. Very We can make it work with some editing. Another joke, yes? Uh, what does Elvis have in common with a snow globe? Why, they're all shook up! Ha! Yes! Jingle Bells! Heartbreak (laughs) Hotels! A Christmas movie for the whole family! I for one am very glad about these PG-13 rated musical biopics. Parents deserve a night at the picture show with their kids where they don't have to explain too much afterwards. Rock and roll is supposed to be rated E for everyone. And Boss Luhrmann knew this.
1: Vixen and Vixen and all the rain, they're pulling on the rain. of
0: precious this wonderful world of Christmas. I know I sound like a, <laughs> a broken record, you see, but this is a Christmas movie. Like your miracle on 34th Street or or Die Hard. This movie begins with a man who calls himself the Snowman, being overwhelmed after seeing a Christmas card. I would venture to say it's the timeless tale of somebody disobeying the Santa and getting coal in their stocking for it. That reminds me of another joke. Boys, why did Elvis get coal in his stockings? Why? Because he was in treble! Like treble, like the higher (laughs) pitch. (laughs) Elvis would sing sometimes in treble. Isn't that a good meme?
1: (laughs) That's That's a great meme. Okay.
0: But though sometimes the movie begins with a viewpoint of Father Christmas, it ends with a note about family. Family being the most important thing of all. We're like a family, and family is the most important thing of all. Amen. Early in the movie, Presley's father Vernon, the studious head of Elvis Presley Enterprises, tells Elvis about a man he knew who got his record on the radio and then his career was over in a flash. I knew a
1: fella once who got his record on the Radio. It was all over in a flash. It's like that he says, it's gonna all be over in a flash.
0: And the last thing you see before the credits is a flash of light. His father was right all along. It was over in a flash. Because this movie's not about how Elvis made everything happen on his own. No. It's about how important it is to work with people to make your dreams come true, even if they make you miss your family member's funeral or make you podcast when you have the COVID-19. You must trust their judgment and not sing about how evil you are in front of the Vice Squad. We must not allow ourselves to get lost discussing politics and religion. Elvis is proof of this. It was the little elf who made songs in Santa's workshop, but he thought he deserved to fly away from the North Pole, even though he knew Santa couldn't leave his post. It's a tragedy. An old-fashioned Christmas tragedy. This
2: Christmas thing.
0: But even if Elvis forgot the spirit of giving, Australian director and straight family man Buzz Lerman did not. He gave us two hours and 39 minutes of densely packed scenes to open up by the fireplace. So after this break, we shall go into general discussion and bring even more holiday cheer directly to you. But before we cut to black, another joke. Why was Elvis's face covered in white powder?
2: He was a cocaine addict.
0: <laughs> no, no, no! It's because he can't help falling in snow with you! Damn, <laughs> cut you <to> commercials! <laughs>
2: what the fuck are you talking about, man? Hold on. It doesn't
0: seem like they're
2: buying into the Christmas angle. Make sure you get Tanner on board before the recording ends. I understand. But I assure you,
0: my boy does what he's told. Hello, and welcome back to the Bomb Squad Podcast, episode 81, Christmas in August edition. We're bringing you that chestnuts roasted by the open fire magic with the help of the late Elvis Presley. Now begins the general discussion. Does anybody wish to join me in more Elvis Presley jokes? I have a funny one about fruitcake.
2: Yeah. uh, Joe, I have a a question for you. I kind of want to discuss this. Sure. So I think the big negative talking point a lot of people have with this movie is that Tom Hanks is miscast or Tom Hanks is bad in it. What, What do you think about that?
1: I... I do not agree on that. I mean, yeah, the accent's a bit wonky, but Tom Hanks is like, I would argue he is the most reliable actor in Hollywood. Like, even if the accent is weird, that man's at least guaranteed to give you a good performance. See, my boy, the truth about the rock of eternity. It is forever, just beyond our reach.
2: i agree. And I think the casting of Tom Hanks in particular is a brilliant stroke, and here's why. Who's America's sweetheart? Who had a special on TV dedicated to them earlier, as you're calling them, the nicest man in America?
0: Keanu Reeves. Tom Hanks. Oh.
2: Tom Hanks did.
0: Thomas Hanks.
2: I don't know if he goes by Thomas, Dr. Zwiebelman. (laughs) Um, My point being, everyone loves Tom Hanks. Everyone wants to trust Tom Hanks so in this movie which is framed from Colonel Tom Parker's narration remember that is the first thing we see in this movie it's a story from him a unreliable narrator I wouldn't say that and every time you see him you're like oh that's Tom Hanks I want to trust him Tom Hanks can't hurt me your future Mr. Presley
1: blazing before you recording contracts television even Hollywood So
2: I think it's a really brilliant way to make the audience fall into the same allure that its main character and target does. You you see what I'm saying here, Joe? Yeah, I I understand.
0: I have something to say about the real life colonel. Did you know that that $35,000 contract deal that the colonel orchestrated to buy Elvis from Sun Records was not just the biggest payout of its kind at the time. It was instrumental to keeping Sun Records from collapsing under debt. Because of that money, Sun Records were able to launch such musicians as Johnny Cash and the Roy Orbison, Carl Perkins, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Through the kind actions of the Colonel, we got the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah.
1: When it comes to biopics, I'm usually not the biggest stickler about facts being like incorrect. However, there is one fact that I cannot let slide. So the movie opens up and you see in Las Vegas, they have this little side attraction called the Star Trek Experience. Now, the Star Trek Experience was a famous little museum in Las Vegas that opened up in 1998, and yet the movie presumes that the fucking Star Trek Experience opened up in 1997. (laughs) I I call bullshit on that. Baz Lerman. you need to learn how to use Google. Zero out of ten. You need more Star Trek and more Christmas in your Elvis movie. Joe,
2: do you think the movie should have gone farther to emphasize that Priscilla was 14? I was thinking
1: about that the other day.
2: Because it's Um, an interesting question about what makes for a good story and how do you balance a real life person?
1: Yeah, it's like you got... All that, like, to take into consideration, but it's, like, you also got to consider, like, you're trying to, like, appeal to, like, a wide audience of people, and there's a ton of people that, like, not only love Elvis, they are obsessed with Elvis. (laughs) It feels like like they tried their best to like address it as best as they could to appeal to a wide audience. Cause at the end of the day, that's what all these fucking movies are for, is they're there to make money.
2: Especially when they're made by a studio like Warner
1: Brothers and they spend a hundred million dollars on it. Exactly. So do do I wish that they addressed it more? Absolutely. And in fact, there's a lot of ways that I wish that this movie kind of went about in terms of just portraying Elvis as a character at least in terms of the writing. I think Austin Butler's doing a lot of heavy work, but for like a big, like major motion picture, they did what they could with it to appease like a wide audience of people.
2: Yeah. From what I understand, Priscilla herself was involved in the production process and she probably would not have signed off on it if they portrayed it as anything less than her being okay with it. Right. And if she's okay with it, then I guess I can't complain too much, but
0: it's a historical inaccuracy. Joe, you talking about Star Trek reminded me, this movie has another historical inaccuracy. Although the 68 comeback special in this movie makes you think that Elvis hated Christmas, he recorded several <laughs> Christmas albums! The man loved Christmas! His first, record, Christmas again. his first record to attain a diamond certification was his '57 Christmas album. In fact, Austin Butler was inspired to audition because he heard the song Blue Christmas in the car with his girlfriend. Elvis and Christmas are like peas and carrots, yes? Yeah. What
1: the fuck I,
2: are you talking about, man?
1: In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll even go a step further, because I haven't done this in a hot minute. Blue Christmas that was famously covered by, I don't remember the band's name, but it was famously covered in one of the Christmas episodes of the hit television series, The O.C., bitches! No!
0: Catch we mustn't!
1: The Elvis We mustn't, Joe! Elvis and the OC we, the, the, They go together like Peanut butter and bananas in a sandwich Which I'm surprised that they didn't even address that in the movie They don't really talk about how much Elvis loved
2: I them. do think you see him eating a peanut butter and banana sandwich at some point I swear to God I saw that But I might also just be remembering things from the ERB video
1: I, I'm surprised nobody talks about this aspect of his like famous uh, sandwich There's bacon in that And it's like
0: a whole fucking loaf of bread
2: Oh, fuck off. What? That's disgusting.
0: The Fool's Gold Loaf. He had to fly on his private jet just to get the Fool's Gold Loaf. Which is funny because he could have made it at home. But that's not how Elvis did Elvis, you know?
2: Joe, how many drugs would I have to pump you full of to try that sandwich? Uh, that I don't know. Yeah, similar question. How many of that drug it has to be? If I just pump you with enough heroin, will you try it? I, I mean, you'd probably just kill me.
0: <laughs> I, I noticed that Billiam, William from Stranger Things is in this movie as the no-good hippie Steve Bender. The, <clears throat> the horrible man who put all those ideas into Elvis's head. Tell me honestly. What do you boys think my career is at right now? Well, it's... It's in the toilet. Elvis. Uh, You know, Steve Binder wasn't so good to the spirit of Christmas. Not only did he rob us of Here Comes Santa Claus, he went on to tarnish Christmas even more by directing the Star Wars Christmas special the year after Elvis passed. That very Steve Binder! Hold the fuck on what?
2: (laughs) We've all made mistakes. We're not perfect.
1: What's that I smell? Gonna be some of those
2: famous Wookiee okies yeah. There should be a scene in this movie where he directs the Christmas special. That should have been an after credit scene.
0: <laughs> the Star Wars Christmas special. Oh my God,
1: you're not fucking kidding.
0: <laughs> no, Joseph, I'm not. I know everything, such as Elvis was a talented amateur boxer who once represented his high school when, you know, for competition. He was a boxer.
2: happened Joy Trip? Joey, please!
0: I didn't mean to knock him out. Get a little uncomfortable in here, you know. Uh, do I still get
1: my five dollars?
0: Like the holiday boxing day, yeah? It all ties back to
2: Christmas! <laughs> Americans don't even celebrate boxing day!
0: Oh, What the fuck is up with you in this Christmas thing, man? You know, Tanner, you should focus more on saying catchphrases. Joe already is ahead of you, yeah?
2: <laughs> My favorite fucking thing are people who are like, I saw Elvis at Taco Bell last week. Oh, yeah, really? And he looked just the way he did when he died? Fucking shocking, because he'd be like 102 right now.
0: You do know Elvis is dead, right? No, Elvis is not dead. He just went home. After
2: a tw- solid 20 years after Elvis died, claiming you saw Elvis just doesn't become plausible anymore. I mean, it wasn't to begin with but it becomes less so, you know what I mean? Right.
0: It would almost be like saying you've seen Santa Claus because there are so many Santa Claus impersonators. Of course you've (laughs) seen Elvis. There are people who dress as Elvis for a living, just like the Santa Claus.
2: But Elvis is a real person. Santa Claus is a fictional character made by Macy's.
0: I will not have any debate on whether or not Santa Claus is real on my podcast.
1: Guys, guys, you got it all wrong. Santa wasn't invented by Macy's. He was invented by JCPenney, the real real department store. You're right. I did get that mixed
0: up. (laughs) Like like Santa is real. Yes. Thank you, Joseph. I think this is a Christmas movie. If people say Die Hard is a Christmas movie, this is a Christmas movie, too. We make fun of people
1: who say that. Now, you can sing whatever songs you and Mr. Bendel choose, but at the end of the show, there will be a Christmas song. I did not expect uh, uh, Elvis and Britney Spears to mix together in this movie. Oh yeah, which which song plays? It's uh, "Toxic" and "Viva Las Vegas." It, it's the one take of them in the tour bus. That and goes hard. It, it goes really hard.
2: Honestly, I think this is the best use of, of Baz using modern music in these historical pieces. Like When that agree. Doja Cat song played when he first went to Memphis, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Cause remember how it was diegetic, how it was like the actress singing and then it hit to the song? That was so cool.
1: Yeah, I'll give Boz Lerman this as, as much as I'm not the biggest fan of his work. That man does know how to use music. Like there's a reason why, as much as I hate it, Moulin Rouge. There's a reason why Romeo Plus Juliet, The Great Get. There's a reason why those were like hit soundtracks at the time of their release and like people still listen to them to this day and i think that this is just another one in his catalog
2: i've been listening to that doja cat song on like a fucking loop since this movie came out because i i I think that song's awesome
1: they they need to release the uh the viva las vegas toxic remix that they do it's not even on the soundtrack
2: you want to hear something bullshit that doja cat song i'm talking to you yeah You think, oh, that's like the best song in the movie that was made for the movie, right? Not the weird Eminem credit song, which I really wish went knock, knock, let the Elvis in. (laughs) (laughs) But get this, the Doja Cat song isn't eligible for the Oscars. Why is this? Because it uses a sample. Songs that use samples aren't eligible for the Oscars. Is that not the most ridiculous fucking thing?
1: That's bullshit.
2: Samples are so common, not just in rap music, but in in pop music
0: in general. That's so silly. Imagine getting hung up on one small element of a larger work of art and obsessing over it to the point where you don't take it seriously. I do not like this.
2: I just want to say this real quick. The costume design of this movie is fucking incredible. I don't usually notice that, but I noticed it here.
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yeah, I would agree too.
0: I really liked the Christmas dancers that they um, were supposed to film at the holiday special. I thought that their little outfits were delightful. What,
2: the ones you saw in the back? <laughs> no, never
1: So, uh, Richard Roxborough, a Boslerman regular, is in this. And this is probably the most Wait, subtle. Wait, is he? <gasps> yeah, he's Elvis's dad. Please, Lord, don't let him hurt my baby. Hurt him.
0: Looks like they want him.
1: And it's probably the most subtle performance that man has ever given, because you look at that man's body of work, that man goes over the fucking top.
2: One of the hardest shots in the movie is his dad crying and Elvis comforting him.
1: That goes so hard. It goes really hard. Yeah, no, you compare that man to this movie and you compare his performance in Moulin Rouge or fucking Van Helsing from 2004 because he was Dracula. That man knows how to go over the top. And then here he is playing like the most subdued character maybe of his entire career.
0: I thought that Vernon was wise.
2: Joe, were you like me where you had to Google what snowman meant after the movie?
0: (laughs) The snow job. When Tom
2: Hanks kept calling himself snowman at a snow job, I was like, what is a snow job? Is that like some weird sex thing I haven't heard of? Oh.
1: As an orphan, I ran away to the carnival, where I learned the art of the snow job.
2: Oh, is it like when you stick, instead of sticking a carrot to be the snowman's nose, oh, no. you stick it on the no, third no, one no. and you go to town?
0: Listen, All Is right. that
2: what a snow job is? That's
0: enough tinsel and jingle bells for one podcast. It is time for final thoughts on the 2022 Elvis Christmas Spectacular. Joe, I would like to ho-ho hear you go first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it was fine. Austin Butler is the real reason to see this. It sucks that the movie was just an okay crowd pleaser, but in order to pay respects to both the life and death of Elvis Presley, it is better to make an okay crowd pleaser than a big, fat, stinking turd.
0: And I will go next, so we can end on my jolly partner in podcasting. Elvis is undeniably a Christmas film for children of all ages. It is about the selfless, merry old man who made Elvis who he was, in spite of Elvis constantly trying to wiggle out of recording to go to a family funeral or get COVID-19. It's about how behind everything, Star, there is a man who had to control their dumb instincts. I wish this movie was called the Colonel Tom movie, because it's men like him that make the entertainment you people love so dearly exist in the first place.
2: Tom, Tom, Tom is the villain.
0: Now, Tanner, why don't you say one of your catchphrases and carry us out on a holly jolly note?
1: T- um, Tanner, think think of the movie like a baby. What, what do you want to do to that baby?
2: I'm calling uh, the, the FBI on
1: <laughs> you.
0: You so want to crack, as crack as the baby is- right open?
2: <laughs> 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 uh, crack that baby right open. All right, let's get into it. There's a throwback. <laughs> (laughs) God, um, I think the movie is spectacular. It's one of my favorites of the year. Austin Butler might just be my favorite male performance of the year. I am really stuck between him and Ram Charan of RRR fame. Shout out to our new Indian fans. And I just love this movie so much. It's I I think the finest material Baz has ever gotten to work with. It fits his style so much. I don't think it's his best movie, but I think it's the one that fits his style the best. It's a uh, truly spectacular film. Austin Butler gives one of the best performances of the year. Tom Hanks gives a surprisingly great performance, and it's just a great, crowd-pleasing time. This is easily Tom Hanks' best performance as a villain, because he hasn't done a many villain roles, but Colonel Tom Parker is one of the most iconic villains of the year, so, you know, that's pretty great. Um, and, to, to, hold on a minute, I am getting a phone call, sorry.
0: In the middle of recording, anything can happen. Uh-huh. So it turns out there's no record of him at all. Dr. Austin Zwiebelman doesn't exist. All this will be edited out. Thanks. You were saying?
2: Dr. Austin Zwiebelman, or should I, I guess, just say Austin Zwiebelman. Hmm? Because you don't have a doctorate in anything. What? Is there anything you want to tell me? Any truths or
0: lies you want to confess to? I keep you locked up here doing these podcasts every week because... I never got my podcasting degree. I can't go on other podcasts. I have to keep you here.
2: Degree?
0: My past is the least of your troubles, my boy. If you want out of your contract, if you want to get away from me, you must pay (laughs) enterprises the $69 million you owe me in Funko Pop back taxes. Oh, you? Whether you like it or not, you're my sideshow attraction. Look deep in your heart. We are the same, you and I. Two odd, lonely children, screeching at eternity.
2: I am nothing like you. I'm not a fucking liar. I'm not a fucking leech. I am not a manipulative sack of shit, Austin, okay? I could find some other fucking editor. You're fired, you fucking liar, okay? You're fired.
0: No? No, I am not the one who is fired. I control the post-production. I can edit you out of my show. Out of my life. I swear on my dancing chickens that you are never coming back on the Bomb Squad podcast. Edit this. Now it is time for the outro. Damn you! You're finished. The deal is off. What? Yeah. We lost the sponsorship? Oh! Well... That wraps up this episode, and apparently our hopes at making money. If you're listening to this on any of the audio platforms, please donate to our Patreon. If you're watching on Spotify Video, please visit our Patreon and donate some money. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you for the ad revenue, and consider donating to our Patreon. And while you're at it, head on over to our Patreon and send us some money, so we can make more episodes without Tanner. Head on down to the comment section. Do you love Christmas? What's your favorite Christmas movie? Do you know any hmm, good lawyers to fight a lawsuit from a mobile game company? Comment below and let us know. Next week on the show, we'll be covering the animated feature from 2012 by Don Hertzfeldt. It's such a beautiful day. Hosted by Ethan, a man who would never jeopardize our sponsorship deals. This has been the fucking Bum Squad Podcast, episode 81. One last joke. How did Elvis light his fireplace at Christmas time? With a hunk a hunk of burning love. Merry Christmas to all, except for one of you. Good night.
1: I got to take a dump. Gentlemen, Tanner has left the building.